Thank you, Leanne. Well, a common saying that uh, many of you might be familiar with uh, is one that is, although it's maybe well-intentioned and it's mostly true, it's one that I think is uh, really unhelpful and in some ways it actually can be misleading. And the saying is this, it's this saying that God loves you and has a plan for your life. Now, let me first of all say that that first part, that God loves you, is absolutely true. It's more true at a depth and a reality than I could ever explain to you in these moments. Uh, suffice it to say that Jesus gave his life for you, and so that is the ultimate expression of love. And so God absolutely does love you. But it's that second part where we say sometimes, you know, God has a plan for your life that I think can be a little bit misleading at times, at least if we understand it in a certain way. If we understand it in a way where, you know, we think of, well, God has a plan that kind of lays everything out for you. I mean, on, on the one hand, in terms of God's sovereignty, I would say that it's true in some form that he knew you before the world was created, he knit you together in your mother's womb, and he has set apart your days from the beginning to the end. And so in that sense, in terms of God's ultimate sovereignty, yeah, he, he has a plan, but if we think about it in the sense that, okay, God has a plan for you. If I make a decision at some point in my life to follow Jesus, that then he in turn kind of gives you a map, gives you a, a book with chapters in it and says, you know, here's the plan for your life. Now just follow it, live it out. Let it unfold like the plan that I have made for you. In some ways that might be partly our human desire, but I don't think it's how God works. And what we'll see today is that the kind of kingdom culture that Jesus is pointing to is rather than a plan laid out for you, it's one of continuous invitation that we respond to. It's a continuous invitation to trust the king, to follow the king, to obey the king, and to walk further and further into the kingdom in obedience and faith. One invitation at a time. And so rather than maybe trying to figure out God's plan for our life, maybe what we need to do more of is just simply pay attention and say, Spirit of God, would you show me what are the invitations that you have for me today? Because I really believe that the kingdom invitations are many. I really believe that the kingdom invitations, they come continuously, that Jesus is always inviting us on kingdom adventures, and they're all around us to follow him, to trust him, to walk in faith and obedience. And there are invitations that are sometimes really big and sometimes really small. Uh, maybe the invitation for you in a moment is just simply to hold your tongue in the middle of a conversation. Maybe the invitation is to pray for somebody who's sharing with you. Maybe the invitation is to forgive somebody in the midst of a conflict that you're in, and God is just inviting you to be free in that way. But then there's also the big invitations. We know that as well, the invitations that change the course of your life, uh, and we'll see some of that today. And when those come, uh, Jesus doesn't promise that it's going to be easy or comfortable. Uh, he doesn't promise that he will make it all simple and smooth, but he does promise that he will always be with us. And so as we engage in a kingdom and as we follow the king uh, in ways that will change our lives forever, uh, Jesus is with us, changing our foundations, changing where we place our hope, changing our priorities, our purpose. And, and sometimes it's these invitations that just seem to change everything. So Matthew's account in the gospel that we read about has all kinds of invitations. And as we go through this series, I'd encourage you to pay attention to those, those that we see and read about in Scripture, but also the ones that Jesus has for each one of us as well. And the interesting thing is that we get an opportunity 
as we read through the Gospels, we get an opportunity to see how people responded to these invitations. We see these people in real time uh, experiencing God breaking into their lives and inviting them to step deeper into the kingdom, and sometimes to do so in remarkable ways. Later on in Matthew, in in chapter 16, uh, there's a big one. Jesus says this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own ways, take up your cross, and follow me. But if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I mean, this is the ultimate kingdom invitation, isn't it? To completely reorient our lives around Jesus, to pick up our cross, and to follow Jesus in terms of serving God and serving others, whatever that means. And oftentimes on the surface, it seems like we're giving up so much, but in the reality, we're, we're actually not giving up as much as we might think. It's like Jesus is saying, if you only knew actually the kingdom treasures that I have for you, if you only knew the implications of what I'm asking you to do, you wouldn't actually hold so tightly onto those things that you think maybe are so important and how they will pale in comparison to what I'm offering you. You know, another unfortunate type of often evangelical thinking is that the whole, this whole idea that there is one big decision moment uh, in our lives. And it might sound something like this, like, when did you make a decision to follow Jesus? Like it's this one and done type of thing. Now, again, that decision is important, that decision is significant, and, and most of the time we have that moment and that day where we can remember where we really understood the gospel to, a, to at least a point where we were ready to follow Jesus and declare that there is a, a line in the sand that this day is going to be different. I know for me that day was in June of 1984, and many of you know those days and those moments and those big decisions to follow Jesus in one way. But, but the unhelpful part is when it comes out that we make a decision and then it's just sort of like, well, now I'm good, I'm in, in the kingdom. And I think the thing that we need to realize is that every single day, Jesus has an invitation for you. Will you follow today? And oftentimes, it's in specific ways that maybe we miss or we don't really see. And so we need to recognize this fact that Jesus has invitations for us every day to trust him more to walk in obedience more, uh, to follow in another area of our lives. Because you see, the kingdom is this kingdom of the now and the not yet. This idea that we have been transformed and we are being transformed as we continue to trust him and to walk in obedience in new and expanding areas of our lives. So again, the question that Maureen shared earlier that we want you to think about today, reflect on, maybe to write in your journal, is this question of, What are some of the most significant kingdom invitations of Jesus that you have had throughout your life? Sometimes, like we said, they're small. Sometimes they're quite significant. But to think about those things, to write them down, to reflect on them, and to understand them more deeply, and and even to share them with others for their encouragement as well. Well, we saw last week in our text that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, that he was the new Moses, the fulfillment of so many prophecies, and that... um, And Matthew references so many of these prophecies from the Old Testament throughout his gospel. We saw also last week that uh, physical strength was not really so important in the kingdom of God. Jesus had just been praying and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was weak. He was vulnerable. And then Satan comes to test him in his physical weakness. But then he simply vanquishes Satan with the commands of God, the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because this is a different kind of kingdom. The first year of Jesus' ministry, 
that follow that seems quite obscure in many ways. We don't hear too much about it, actually. This time between the baptism of John, uh, John the Baptist's baptism of Jesus, and then this time when John gets arrested that we'll see in our text today. Commentators and scholars, they, they put that time frame as about a year. And then for some reason, uh, Jesus returns to this region and this land, and he does so when he hears that John has been put in prison. So let's read from Matthew 4, verse 12 to 17. It says that when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And this fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So here in this part of the text, Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 9. It's actually the sixth Old Testament prophecy that is fulfilled here so far in Matthew's gospel. And he refers to this Galilee of the Gentiles and these people who are living in darkness. But they're actually a people who don't see that they're living in darkness. They don't realize it, which is the worst kind of darkness. And what's interesting again is that it's not Jerusalem. It's, it's more of these outlying regions. It's not Jerusalem, this place of Jewish power and identity, but it's more the outlying places. Galilee is like the antithesis of Jerusalem. It's not a cultural backwater, but it's a region that is under the influence of the Gentiles with their gods, their lifestyles, and their worldview. And if we think about this image of light uh, symbolizing God in the kingdom culture, then we think of darkness as everything that is anti-God. And this land is indicated by Matthew as a place that people are living in darkness. But that Jesus' kingdom is breaking in. And we see that in our text today at the end of chapter 4 that Jesus begins his public preaching ministry in the same way that John the Baptist began his preaching ministry and declared throughout his time. And how the light of the kingdom of God ushers in as we bring the sins of our lives from the darkness into the light through repentance. And so when John the Baptist began his ministry, he said, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near, in Matthew 3, verse 2. And Jesus here in Matthew 4, 17 says the very same thing. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he doesn't get specific about what this is or necessarily what it looks like in the moment, but He's pointing to the fact that it's going to be very different than you would expect. And it's a kingdom to exchange the darkness of our sin and the things that we keep in the shadows for the light of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so Jesus extends this invitation to two sets of brothers as we continue to read in verse 18. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, and he says, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. And so as you read the other Gospels, you realize that this is not their first interaction with Jesus. 
they have encountered Jesus before. And you might even say that they were already disciples of Jesus, but now for some reason they have returned to their nets and returned to their occupations. And the passage that Leanne read in John's gospel is one that records some of this previous relationship where Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist who eventually listened to him and went to be with Jesus and to follow Jesus, just as John had suggested. These disciples were likely at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turned the water into wine in John chapter 2. But here they are, possibly a year later, after they had for some reason returned to their fishing, and Jesus sees them and calls out to them and gives them an invitation An invitation to step deeper into the kingdom of God, to take a more significant step of obedience to follow him, and another opportunity that they had to either accept or reject this invitation to go further. You know, unlike the rabbis at the time who would often have students who would come up to them and ask, you know, Rabbi, could I follow you? Could I follow your teaching? Jesus is a rabbi, a teacher who goes and invites the students And he goes to these two sets of brothers and he asks them, would you take up this invitation to follow? And surprisingly, in the middle of the day, Peter and Andrew choose to leave their nets and to follow. It requires them leaving their occupations, how they made a living, maybe their homes. And now their primary occupation is changed from fishing of fish to fishing for human souls. Then Jesus goes down a little further along the beach, and he gives this similar invitation to two other brothers, James and John. And they too decide and choose to leave everything, including their boat and their father, and they follow Jesus. And I think we can only begin to imagine the kind of impact that that would have on their family business and their family relationships because of maybe the obligations that they had made. But now these four, these two sets of brothers, they have chosen to step deeper, to trust Jesus more, and to go further in these kingdom invitations that he has been given them. And they actually become the the core inner circle of these 12 disciples that Jesus eventually draws around him. They had a huge influence, a huge kingdom impact, but it did come at a cost. And what's important to notice about Jesus' invitation is that it's an invitation to know and to follow him. It's an invitation to the king and his kingdom. And they're responding Uh, with as much information as they have at the time. The same with the invitation that Jesus gives us today. With wherever we're at in our understanding, he invites us to take a step. He invites us to to see and receive this invitation and to respond. Because Jesus always meets us wherever we're at. And he invites us to follow him, to trust him. And so we see as we read through Matthew's gospel that there is this idea that as we have increasing understanding... that it requires a further adjustment of our commitments. And so it's this continual invitation to go deeper, to trust more, and to follow Jesus. Kingdom invitations also often involve a choice of leaving something behind and grabbing on to something that is new. And here the brothers, they left their nets, their occupations, their father, and, and we know that it comes at a cost. But also with the reward that is much different than the world offers, and it's an offer of exchange. And then as we keep reading, we see Jesus continuing to live out this kingdom culture. It says in verse 23 and following, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick 
And whatever their sicknesses or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. So here we see Jesus teaching in the synagogues. We see him proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And we see him healing all kinds of sickness and disease. We see that the good news is not only proclaimed and taught, but it's also demonstrated through Jesus and the healing of this sickness. And so the kingdom culture is one where Jesus is proclaiming and demonstrating power and authority over all powers of this world and over all parts of human existence, our physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, social, every aspect of our lives. The kingdom is all-encompassing in that way. And sometimes the healing that we need is not as apparent as we might think. And maybe we don't see exactly what it is that we need. And sometimes the healing that we need is obvious and it's very apparent. Maybe it's the cancer that's growing in our bodies. Maybe it's the painful back pain that just never lets up. Maybe it's the mental illness that has just plagued us for years and years and we just long for healing. And understandably so. And Lord Jesus, would you bring your healing power? And so we pray as we're invited to pray, as Jesus invites us to do so. And we might struggle with our own doubts and our own questions at times of, well, why is it that God heals some people and doesn't heal others? But we're just invited to pray and to proclaim this kingdom power and to trust God with the results and know that he is always with us, however he answers. But sometimes the healing that we need is not quite as obvious, not quite as straightforward, and maybe not even to us. Maybe it will require a willingness to let go of some things or to exchange some patterns and realities in our lives that are maybe comfortable and familiar, but maybe not that helpful for us. And I think of Jesus in this seemingly strange question in John chapter 5, where he actually asked the lame man who had been lame for 38 years, and he says, do you want to be well? I mean, what kind of question is that? Do you want to be well? But Jesus is, is really asking him, do you want to exchange your identity for something new? Do you want to actually exchange your daily patterns and rhythms and routines for something totally new? Are you ready to take responsibility now for your life where you have nothing to blame or hold you back? Do you really want to get well? I don't know what it all was that Jesus was meaning by that. But I think sometimes there are so many ramifications of this kind of question. Are we really wanting to experience the power of his kingdom in every area of our life. Maybe Jesus has an invitation like that for you today. Do you want to get well? And sometimes, as I said, the healing that is needed is more subtle, but just as necessary. C.S. Lewis, in his book called The Weight of Glory, he wrote this quote that is well known, and I'll paraphrase it a bit. He says that our human desires are actually not too strong, but they're actually too weak. We fool around with the distractions and sins that our earthly culture has to offer, and we miss out on the remarkable kingdom invitations that Jesus has for us. And, and C.S. Lewis compares it to a small, ignorant child who wants to go on playing in the muddy water of the slums, rejecting an invitation to have a holiday by the ocean because of being really unable to imagine what it actually might be like. And so it's this kingdom exchange that I talked about earlier that's sometimes harder to let go of than we realize. And so we hold on to our bitterness and injustices. 
like two old friends who are not really fun or rewarding, but at least they're strangely familiar and comfortable in the pain of our relationships. And yet Jesus' kingdom invitation is for reconciliation and for a freedom that we often cannot imagine. We maybe continue to embrace and define ourselves with shadow identities around our careers or occupations, our sexuality, rather than embracing the true identity that King Jesus has for us. Or maybe we continue in our addictions that might give some shallow satisfaction but also keep us feeling shame and judgment rather than allowing Jesus to truly break the chains and heal us fully. So what I think Matthew is pointing to us and what I want us to see today is that kingdom invitations are there for all of us. It's an exchange of sorts. It's a trade-up. And sometimes the invitations are big ones. Sometimes they're small ones. Sometimes they're obvious, and sometimes they're a little bit more subtle. But I pray that we would look for them every day. And I pray that we would pursue Jesus and look by the power of the Holy Spirit at the invitations that he has for us each day and that we would choose to follow. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your love for us that is so deep. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for the invitations that you continue to give us. Help us to see the invitations that are around us every day. Help us not to miss out on them. The small, subtle ones that are even in the moment of a conversation with somebody. Or maybe it's an invitation that we have been kind of trying to figure out who you are and what it means to put our trust in you. And finally, we have to just come to the place where we say, Lord Jesus, I don't understand everything, but I understand enough. And I trust you and I believe you. And I want to follow you. And maybe it's that we need to recognize in a new way of the darkness of our sin and bring it out into the light and say, Lord Jesus, we repent and would you forgive us and free us from this. And God, I don't know what the invitations are for each one of us, but I pray that you would help us to see them. And I pray that you would help us to walk in obedience and the freedom and the power of your kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.